Hey, it's your host, Charlotte Chipperfield, and welcome to the Holistic Marketing Podcast, the show that inspires you to think holistically about yourself, your business, and your marketing to ignite the impact you desire to have in the world. We'll learn what it takes to be seen and heard in the digital space from leading experts and myself as the founder and CEO of Chipperfield Media. Get ready to own your marketing by exploring the intersection of purpose and proactive marketing to move your business forward. Thank you for hitting play on another episode of the Holistic Marketing Podcast. Today, I am welcoming Michael Naus, who is a business coach and sales expert. He is a champion for mission-driven coaches and entrepreneurs. Yay! And today, we're going to discuss the idea that bigger isn't better, more specifically from the lens of being an entrepreneur who is trying to juggle creating the life we desire along with the business that we desire. So welcome, Michael. I am super excited to be here, Charlotte. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I think this is going to be such an insightful conversation. And before we dive in, I'd love for you to tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what your mission is. All right. Well, some of my favorite things are adventure, travel, which it's been a little bit uh, dicey this year because of everything with uh, a global pandemic. Um, But I do love it. Uh, I love coaching. I love entrepreneurship. I do all the cooking in my household, so I love to cook. Uh, I'm a skier. I love doing almost anything with my wife, Jill, and our two dogs, Doug and Addie Bell. And I really love the work that I do. I feel so fortunate. I was in a sales and business development career selling software for about 14 years for startups or for bigger corporate uh, software companies. And it wasn't that that was a bad job by any stretch. Like it, there's many aspects of it that were great. Um, but I did get to a point where I was actually laid off and that gave me the perfect segue into the work that I've been doing for the past seven years. And I often tell people that I can't believe that I get paid to do what I do. So I feel really lucky to be a coach and to be able to work with, uh, other coaches, uh, other entrepreneurs, And my mission is really, I see my mission in my work to dream bigger for my clients than they have the capacity to do for themselves, and then to help them craft that vision and then backwards engineer it to build a plan that makes achieving that inevitable. That's really how I see my work as a coach. And I just want more people living into their possibility and their fullness because I know when that happens, we all benefit from that. Oh, that's such a wonderful mission and and such a powerful one too. I think we all need to have that space where we can kind of expand into what's possible and to have someone to help us say that A, that's okay to do that. And then B, to really help you move towards that is such a powerful um, experience to have. And I know that you kind of talk a little bit about our outsmarting the hustle, because I think we can definitely get caught up, especially as entrepreneurs, and I am 100% guilty of this, is maybe we do define what it is that we want, but then we burn ourselves out on the way of trying to get there or even just towards taking the first step towards that. So how do we know kind of when we're getting caught up too much in the hustle and why do we want to learn to outsmart that? Well, I would say that I learned this the, the hard way. <laughs> um, I had been for years in a job that required me to hustle. I was in sales, and when I did well, my quota got raised. And many of those years were working for startups, and that startup world is all about hustle and growing for the sake of growth as fast as you possibly can. So I was hardwired to hustle, and I got into... Uh, entrepreneurship. And I'd had a couple of um, exposure points to entrepreneurship prior to coaching. I had almost accidentally started a pet products company and I had been partner in a real estate investment company. So I loved everything about the hustle and entrepreneurship, but in the kind of work that I'm in now coaching, um, I quickly learned that hustle is the thing that got me in the game. But It was totally optional after a certain point. And I think most businesses like ours um, can hustle their way to maybe 
200, 250K, or maybe even 300K a year. But then something else is fundamentally required because hustling gets you, as you said, a limited return on your energy and it eventually leads to burnout. And so it's not hustle that gets you past a certain point. It's doing things smarter. It's looking for ways to leverage your expertise. And so I think that, um, God, with, with uh, this whole outsmart the hustle idea, the way we know we're hustling is, like we can't remember the last time that we took some time for ourselves with no work over the weekend, or if we feel like we can't afford to take an hour for lunch, or if we don't feel like we have enough time to fit in a yoga class or go on a walk with the kids or the dog. Um, those are some of the indicators, to me anyways, that you've got this probably friction relationship between hustling and thinking that you need to do more and it's costing you at some fundamental level. And you probably also feel like your to-do list is always haunting you and it's never ending. And you might be starting work earlier and staying later. And maybe the biggest sign of being stuck in the hustle is you're telling yourself the lie that if you just keep working harder, <laughs> then someday it's gonna pay off and you'll be able to scale back and take that walk and do that yoga class. To me, that's like the ultimate denial for most entrepreneurs that I know around this idea of hustle. Um, and for me, like I, I wanted to get beyond that because I fundamentally knew as a coach that the reason I started doing this work was about having some freedom and flexibility. That was a big reason actually. I, of course, I wanted to make money and have an impact, but if, if my work was going to include hustling really, really hard, there, there was a direct conflict there. If I thought that I was going to have to just really you know, put in those 70 or 80 hours a week just to be successful as a coach, I would have had to turn the corner and go a different direction because that was in direct conflict with the reason why I started it in the first place. So it's, we have these really interesting, I think, as entrepreneurs, relationships with hustle and the culture of hustle and getting a badge of honor for hustling. And then being real with ourselves on if we, are, if we even want to hustle that way or not. I, I think absolutely you got to hustle when you're getting started. But beyond a certain point, it's not about hustle. It's about something else. It's about being more strategic. It's about working smarter, not harder. It's about finding simplicity. It's about doing less instead of more. It's about those things. Oh, that's so amazing. I think you just called me out a little bit. I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> have I been hustling too much lately? Like stuck in that? Um, I mean, I think for me, there's been a lot in the last couple of years, like working through that almost guilty feeling of taking time away when you're like, but I could be writing that next blog post, or I could be crafting that proposal I said I was going to get to someone on Monday and like trying to like squeeze like extra time into the weekends to do things. And I've gotten a lot better about taking the weekends off and like scheduling an hour lunch break. That's been new for me, even with COVID. I feel like I've gotten this more space in my schedule because I'm not running around to the office or to networking events. And so there's more space to kind of understand that I can fill that with yoga and lunchtime or just calls with family. And that's okay. Cause that's, it's not about being productive all the time. It's about really connecting with the people we love most of our lives. And like you said too, having the freedom and flexibility to have time in your calendar where you get to choose what you want to do. And so I do, I agree with you. I think hustle is definitely required in the beginning, but there's definitely a point where it then becomes a choice. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I think of this time that we're in now with uh, COVID and other related things, it's it's almost felt like a opportunity for me to uh, shift in new ways in my business that include less hustle. For example, about half of my coaching clients are uh, local to this Portland area and about half are other places. And I always liked this idea of meeting maybe every other time in a coffee shop or 
you know, uh, walk in Forest Park to do my coaching. And, you know, I'd have to drive there and I'd drive home and, and I haven't done that since March. And so while the Zoom calls have gotten maybe a little bit monotonous, I've all of a sudden realized I can live anywhere and coach. I don't have to do those meetings face-to-face unless I really, really want to and the opportunity's there. And so my wife and I have started talking about at this stage in our life, gosh, do we do we want to live in Portland or do we want to move and have a little more space around us? Uh, you know, I'm a, I said I was big into adventure. So we had a few conversations about relocating to Bend or someplace like that because I've really realized that I can do the work that I do from anywhere. And that's pretty cool. So I, this, this, this really strange time that we're in has given me some really, uh, really great and insightful gifts that I'm still playing with the idea of how that can look in my life and business. Yes, I can relate to that very much. And I actually think that's kind of one of the silver linings to all of this is that it has allowed us to slow down and reflect and think about how we want to better live in alignment with our values. And again, I think it's so easy to get kind of caught up in the doing of anything, if it would be our careers or our business or just the day-to-day of life. And this has really been a great opportunity to slow down and think about what does the future look like? What are those possibilities? And to then start thinking about it. I think it's hard to take action this year, especially if you are seeking travel and adventure. And I love to travel too, so I can relate to that. I feel very grounded and I've actually <laughs> found this pilot's, um, a pilot's TikTok account of all things, but they're flying. You get to see the planes landing and taking off from the pilot seat. And it's pretty cool because I'm like, oh, I miss going on planes, but it's kind of feeding that adventure side a little bit. <laughs> oh man, that's one of the more innovative things I've heard lately about, <laughs> about the times that we're in. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yes. You got to make the best of it, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I know one thing I have seen and personally experienced um, as a budding entrepreneur and other entrepreneurs is that there is this desire or internal pressure to quickly grow. And it's kind of similar. I'm sure you've experienced this in the startups you worked with or in sales. There's kind of that hockey stick growth. And I think that's a big part of the startup and VC world where people are trying to seek fundraising. And so I'd love for you to kind of break down why bigger isn't always better when it comes to growing our businesses. Mm. Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics, Charlotte. As, um, as, as an entrepreneur, it's really easy to jump on the growth bandwagon without asking ourselves maybe why we're doing it this way or at what cost. And I find that I found myself doing this, but many many entrepreneurs play by the rules of a game that you're not even in. And what I mean by that is, as I mentioned before, I used to work in the startup world where a company that I worked for would take on venture capital in exchange for the promise to grow as quickly as possible. So we were being given resources, money to grow really, really fast. And there's nothing wrong with that game. It's super cool and a lot of great things happen there, but it does create a lot of chaos and it creates a lot of anxiety and it creates a lot of stress. And I would say the founder of a Silicon Valley startup, like the ones I worked for, they are their own breed of people. They're humans like you and I, but there's something about the stress that drives them. Maybe it's addictive, maybe it's their identity. I don't know. But my point is that that is a game. And you've got to play by the rules of that game to win. But if we didn't sign up to play that game, then how are we best served to show up in our business? Is it to grow, grow, grow? Is it to sprint as fast as we can? Because from my perspective, if we're a self-funded business, if we're a small business, a bootstrapped entrepreneur, we are playing a very different game. And we're playing a game that actually allows us to slow down a little bit because we've got limited resources. We've got to be smarter, actually, with our time and money and uh, our energy. And that means we don't need to go quite as fast. We can actually slow down and be more intentional with how we're consciously evolving our businesses. 
And to me, that's a great gift. And if you recognize that and use it to your advantage, I think that can be a little bit of a mindset game changer in, in business. And I hear so much about, um, you know, just like go, go, go. And like this whole, you know, always be busy and, and God, a lot of it just feels exhausting. And in this world of coaching, even, you know, I spend 10 minutes on the internet and <laughs> I'll be served up with a plethora of things, um, that I start to think that I should be doing, including, you know, networking or Facebook lives or Instagram stories or webinars or funnel design or Facebook ads or writing a book or SEO or LinkedIn strat, like all, it's like never ending. And I start thinking to myself, well, sh- am I missing out? Should I be doing that stuff in my business? Will that help me? And that's enough to make anyone crazy or overwhelmed or full of uncertainty about what to do. And none of those things are inherently bad or wrong, but trying to do too many of them in the wrong sequence or maybe all at once can set you back months or even years. And as these self-funded, you know, mission-driven entrepreneurs, we can't afford that. We've got to be more strategic. We've got to be smarter. And instead of uh, chasing tactics and strategies, we're probably better suited to have a plan for building a really solid, solid foundation for our business with the least resistance and have it be really simple to give us the highest probability of succeeding and building that foundation. And this almost always involves doing less, not more, and keeping things really, really simple, which is the opposite of your (laughs) traditional um, investment-seeking or backed startup. Oh, that was such wonderful (laughs) information. And I, yeah, I absolutely agree about the the startup worlds and they are definitely there in that game to grow and you definitely use my favorite word, word, which was intentional. And that's something I work with my clients on in marketing too, is, you know, there's literally thousands of activities that fall under marketing. And I find a lot of clients, they do go on social media or they look at what other people are doing in their industry. And they're like, but they're on this channel and they're on this channel and they're doing this thing. And it's very easy to kind of get caught up in all the tactics and the strategies and and it is often about simplifying and doing the few things really, really well that are working. And so then you can kind of start to add things in as you have more bandwidth and as you are growing. So I love that how you broke that down in regards to, you know, bigger isn't better. And it's almost less pressure too as entrepreneurs to be able to kind of go, I don't have to grow fast to prove that I'm successful, to prove anything about my business. It's really about getting strategic and like you said, working smarter. Yeah, it's it's such a fine balance. And it can be individualized too. It's not like one solution here fits everyone because we're all so individual. And we can bring that into our businesses. But there's this there's this tension between um I think moving forward momentum and patience. And as self-funded entrepreneurs, we need to find what that looks like for us. And there's probably no specific strategy that's going to work perfectly for us. Like we've got to kind of sort it out and that can be some of the hard work. Um, But finding that tension for yourself and where you're comfortable between like, I don't need to grow for the sake of growth. So I can give myself a little bit of a break and I can have some patience with this. But as an entrepreneur, like I also need to lean into moving forward and capturing momentum. And a lot of times that's doing the thing that comes most naturally to us um, and almost kind of hides from us a little bit because it's who we are. It's hard to see that value for ourselves because it's what we've lived with in our bodies our whole life. So we can't see the brilliance in that. And oftentimes somebody will have to point it out and say, oh my God, like you're so amazing when you host a podcast. So how can you do more of that and use that more intentionally to um, make your business more fun and lean into the momentum of your business using something that you're inherently good at, right? So this is this is a topic we could probably um, chat on for a really long time, <laughs> but it's one of my favorites because we don't have to go fast unless we really want to. And oftentimes it gives us a lot of, um, a lot of breathing room to just say, it's okay to like slow down 
do less, but do the less things that we've decided, do those like really, really well. Yes, I could not agree more. And I think one of the things you talk about too, is you teach about building around one core offer. And I, I'd love to kind of dive into that because you're also talking about you know, keeping things simple. And I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we can start to start with initial offer, but then we're quick to add things and kind of expand widthwise instead of kind of moving forward and really focusing, like you said, on what we do really well. So maybe we can dive into that. Why do we want to create one offer, one core offer for our business? And then if you have tips for any entrepreneurs who have multiple offers right now or thinking about <laughs> expanding, how do you know when to kind of pull the trigger on some of those ideas? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think specifically for for newer businesses or businesses under like $200,000 a year, you know, for every offer you create, you've got to build, iterate, market, sell, deliver, and support that offer or that product. So just think about that for a moment. If you have two offers, your work effectively doubles. And this comes back to the limited resource issue that I spoke about earlier. We only have so much time, energy, and money to work with, so we've got to make it count. Um, and if I just, well, I'll share about you know my experience. At one point in my coaching business, I had a blog, a newsletter, a podcast. I was running a monthly dinner event series um, with entrepreneurs. I was going to networking events. I was doing some speaking. I was doing a few workshops here and there. I was doing some social media. Um, and I had offers for one-on-one -on -one coaching. I had group coaching. I had VIP days. I had coaching with built-in retreats. I had paid workshops. I had a mastermind group. And I'm sure that I'm leaving something out. But I was so scattered and pretty overwhelmed. And I was working way too hard for the money I was making. Let's just say there was not a lot of focus. There couldn't be. I, I just had stacked my plate like too full. And I had someone, a mentor of mine, call me out and say, Michael, <laughs> you, you, everything about your business looks so confusing. Like, why would I go do this versus that versus the other thing? And like, how much energy, like, where is your income coming from in all of these things? And she's someone who I kind of talked to once a quarter to challenge me on stuff. And it really got me thinking. And so at that point, I made a decision, it was a really hard decision because it felt like I'd put on all this work to create all this incredible, you know, these offers and everything. But I made it a really important decision in my business. And this was pretty early on. And I decided to keep one-on-one -on -one coaching because I was really, I felt confident selling that and offering that. And that felt like a good foundation for me. And um, then I decided to run a group program, kind of a, a peer coaching council for entrepreneurs. And I had those two things and that's it. And so my business got really simplified really quick. And I was either talking to people about one-on-one -on -one coaching support or joining my, my peer-based council group. Two very different experiences, very different offers. So if I talked to someone, I would know quickly like which one of those two would probably serve them best. And they were interchangeable offers too, meaning that if someone came to my council group and they were part of that for six months, they might be ready to step into one-on-one -on -one coaching. And if somebody had been a one-on-one -on -one coaching client, they might be ready to go into a group experience to ex have some more of that like peer level camaraderie and group energy. So the two were very synergistic things. And today my business looks similar to that. I work with seven to eight one-on-one -on -one coaching clients at any given time. I've got a group program that helps coaches generate 150K a year, and that's it. And that generates me a healthy six-figure business. And it feels about right for where I'm at right now. And it doesn't mean that I don't have aspirations to you know, continue to build out my business in new ways. But keeping that simplicity intact makes the marketing, makes the sales, makes the you know, adding and iterating and making those programs better, uh, the support, it makes it way, 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 way easier. And even, you know, my main way of reaching new audience, uh, new audiences becomes easier too. But, um, I, you know, if I think about that and where people come into my programs from, it's pretty simple. I don't do a ton of like, I don't ha really have sales funnels or do webinars or any of that stuff. Not to say that that's not part of my future, but it's, it's not appropriate for the stage of my business and how much energy I want to invest into it. And so now my clients come from word of mouth referrals, 
uh, a bit of active networking with others in my market at my level of income and expertise or above. And then showing up like this in new places where people maybe that haven't heard of me before uh, are interested and you know just want to check out my work. And so if I show up and do a virtual workshop or if I have a fun conversation on a podcast like this with you, um, those simple things create a steady stream of people that either join one of my two offers or programs or they hop on a list where I can continue to build trust and credibility with them over time. So I try to... You know, I try to keep it super simple for myself, and it's a lot of the work that I do with my clients. It's 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 like stripping things away. It's about simplification. It's about how can we be as profitable as we possibly can with as few things on the table as possible, so that we give ourselves a fighting chance to have a life and a profitable and sustainable business, so that we can get to the next chapter of our business and not burn out. That's really what it's about. Yes, avoiding that burnout is so key. And it's so interesting talking or listening to you talk about your business, like when you were listing out all the things you were doing before. And I was even sitting here being like, oh my gosh, I feel exhausted. Not that I haven't also been doing all of those things. But even when you were talking about how you have these two core offers, and I think it not only simplifies it for you, but it simplifies it for the person who's considering working with you because they're not sitting there almost like a ping pong ball being like, I'm on your social, I'm on your podcast. Like, where do I need to go next? Am I in a group? Am I working with you one-on-one? Like, and I think when you can simplify, it actually simplifies the person that you want to be working with because then they're very clear on why they need to be working with you. What's the next step to take and then what's their possible outcome. And I think those are such important things to lean into when you're wanting to serve or coach people or consult with other people. So I think if you can simplify it for yourself, you're also simplifying it for the people that you work with. So I think all of that was really wonderful advice. Yeah. And I'm not sure I gave you a clear answer on the core offer now that I think about it. (laughs) But (laughs) my point is that I had a ton of offers out there because I thought that's what I needed. I thought I needed to have this kind of like value pyramid thing where people could access me at different price points. And again, that's not like inherently bad, but it's super often confusing to clients and it's complex. And if, especially if you're newer in business, the last thing you need is complexity. And so my core offer became one-on-one coaching. That was the thing that was my foundation. That was the thing I would promote and sell all the time, every day, every day, every day, every week, every month. And then kind of my fallback offer was the council of visionary business builders, that, that peer-based uh, community, coaching community. And my revenue reflected that in those years where that was my model perfectly. About between 65 and 70% of my revenue came from one-on-one coaching, and the rest came from the group work that I did. And for coaches, like building a super simple foundation with clients that you can serve one-on-one is super, super important. And even today, right now, as we're talking, um, much of my group stuff that I used to do is no longer an option because I would have a retreat as part of that group. And we would meet for two days here and there in Portland for that group. And, you know, I just haven't had the desire to switch that over to virtual. So I've got my core offer that I'm still focused on is one-on-one coaching. And while I've ramped up this new offer for coaches, um, it's not at the maturity that I wanted at to have that be my core offer. So in other words, I can, there will be a point in time likely that I'll kind of swap out my core offers to where maybe coaching that sells, my program for coaches is going to be my core offer. And then one-on-one coaching is going to be, um, you know, kind of like this, the side offer. Like I'll do that for people that are a really good match for me, who would be amazing fun for me to coach at a price point that makes sense for me. And so putting these things in sequence is really, really important as a small business owner. And trying to do it all is just a recipe for (laughs) overwhelm and and burnout. There's a a guy in my mastermind group. I created this mastermind group a couple of years ago. Um, It's non-paid. It's just, I have this this weird, like one of my ways to... um, 
move forward is to put myself in an environment where I'm kind of the the lowest person on the on the uh, the 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 scale, for example, like in my mastermind, I created it. <laughs> so, so I could learn from other people. Right. And there's this guy in there, uh, that he only sells one-on-one coaching. That's his core offer. And he's got a business that does over half a million dollars a year. So he sells one thing. He sells one-on-one coaching at about $1,000 per month per month. And that includes one session per month. And he has about 45 clients at all times. So guess how long this guy has been a coach, Charlotte? Just guess. Oh, I was thinking when you said, I was going to say 10 years, but now that you're asking me, I'm like, maybe two years? <laughs> he's been at just over two years. Okay. Just over two years. So he's kept it simple. And because he keeps it simple, it's a very easy business to market, sell, deliver, and support. And a lot of people, you know, probably should and could be asking right now, well, where did he get all those clients? He outsmarted the hustle. He went to startup incubators and accelerators, and he offered to partner with those organizations if they would pitch coaching to all of their portfolio clients. And I think he spoke to 20 or 22 or something like that. And two of them said yes. And that's all he needed to ramp up his coaching business from like nothing to full, like really, really quickly. And his sweet spot is coaching founders and those uh, in that environment because he was one of them and then he sold his business and moved on to coaching full time. But pretty cool, right? Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier about doing the thing that you're good at. And that's obviously something that he knew that industry really well and had that firsthand experience. So it was easy for him to be able to translate that and support others going through starting their companies. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for like following your passion and, and weaving these things together. But sometimes we try to make it way too hard. Like we try to jump into something that we've never done before. And that just inherently makes life harder. You know, my first coaching clients for my first year and a half When I stepped out of corporate and started coaching people, first I'd been coaching people on the side for about a year, so I had that under my belt. And when I stepped into coaching full-time, I was trying to figure out this like you know whole niching thing, like who do I coach and who do I resonate with? And I decided that I was going to coach people that were in corporate, that had a side hustle, or they had an idea and they were struggling with like, how do I make this transition from corporate because my heart is not totally in it, to doing the thing that I love full-time. I had just made that transition. I knew exactly what it felt like and waking up in the middle of the night and thinking, oh my God, am I like going to be able to pull this off? Am I going to have to go back to work? Am I going to have to get another job? Am I going to have to liquidate my 401k? Like all that stuff had just gone through my mind. And so I was able to meet those people exactly where they were and have really raw conversations around the realness of stepping away from a high paying, high salary income corporate job and stepping into the complete unknown, doing the thing that you're being called to do, but not really having any idea if it's going to work out or not. And so I could meet those people right there and say, you know what? Let's figure out the money part. Let's get clear on how that needs to look. Let's look at your risk tolerance. Are you a high risk person, a medium risk, risk person, or a low risk person? And so by stepping into coaching people and being like literally like two or three steps ahead of them, that actually served me really well because they did not have any shortage of clients because there's a lot of those people. They have high disposable incomes. They've still got a corporate job, a lot of them. So they could afford to pay me my coaching rate. And so my job became easier because I was stepping into something that I had experience with, that I knew. And for me, the passion is all about helping others. Um, step into more possibility and actually put together a plan to make it happen. So I was in my sweet spot and I was able to get results with people and it felt really good. If I would have gone into, let's say, um, I don't know, if I would have gone and taken a yoga, yoga teacher training or something like that, my wife's a yoga person. So that would have been a longer road for me because I had no, I would have not had any experience with yoga and I don't know that world. And it just probably would have been a harder hill for me to climb than the one that I chose. And over time, my business evolved almost 
without any effort on my part, I started to coach more evolved entrepreneurs. And I, and I, I liked those clients better. And so over time, I started to replace all of those other clients with seasoned entrepreneurs. And that became a more fun experience for me as a coach. So um, I guess the whole like outsmart the hustle piece applies to, to that too. Like being really intentional about what's going to give you, especially if you're a first time entrepreneur, what's going to give you the, the best chances at winning at, at the game that you want to play. And if you have a lot of experience there, then maybe that's something, you know, to take a look at. How can you craft that in a way that's valuable for people and really give yourself that fighting chance to live another day? <laughs> right. I think that's such a wonderful example, both of your business, but also the gentleman in your, your mastermind as well. I think one of the fears of kind of leaning into one core offer is, and I was going to touch on this too, is like the niching part. So if you have one core mm -hmm. offer for one group of people, I think sometimes that feels incredibly scary because you're like, but what about all these people? And like, I could also do this for them. And, and so I don't know if you work with entrepreneurs on kind of how do they navigate that and how do you kind of lean into that core offer? Or maybe do you start testing a couple core offers to decide which one is going to be the one you kind of lean into the most? Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge coming from software, you know, I, like the way we did it was we validated um, beta software. We'd get it in the hands of people and have them use it and they would give us feedback and we would be able to develop out the product from there. And every once in a while there was a big flop. So we didn't invest too much time and energy on the initial product. We wanted to just get the raw version of the product in the hands of the customer to start getting feedback and iterating on it and building it out. And if we could do it profitably, we would build it out and, and sell it over and over and over again. And so you know, business, I think, is not that hard if if you know what to do and you know those next steps to take. So validation is like a really important part of starting any business. And a lot of people like fall in love with their ideas and that's great and I appreciate the passion, but I always like slow people down. I say, hey, let's pump the brakes here a little bit and let's validate this in some really simple ways and try to narrow this in and focus in your market um, so that you know where to go to speak to the people that you want to serve, right? Because there's almost like this idea of um, like a really wide and broad market. And you can totally be successful in, in a broader market if you've got a very specific problem or pain that you're solving. So for example, if you are in, if you're helping uh, like professional women become more productive. That's a really wide market. It's professional women. Like that can mean a lot of things. But your expertise, the thing that you're helping them focus on is how to be more productive. So that's bringing it narrow, right? You can also take the vertical approach. Like I wanna specifically help and work with people who've been married five years or longer and they're having a really rocky time in their relationship right now. And there's a lot on the line if that goes sideways. Kids, house, assets, splitting that up, like it's a big, it's a, it's a, there's a lot on the line, right? So that's a very specific, like vertical specific focus situation. And that's a real example of someone that I know, like that they're a relationship coach and they work with that highly specific market because that's where their sweet spot is. They love it. They know there's a lot on the line. Those people are in a place in life where they'll pay them pretty much anything to solve their problem. And the guy's really good at solving it. And so I think that's really important to start to think about, again, how do you make life easier on yourself? And I get it. Like It's hard to start to look at your market and say, I am intentionally going to focus in and cut out 99% of the people out there that might want to work with me. That seems ridiculous. However, when you really define the problems that you're solving, the people you're solving them for, and you commit, you double down on that, it becomes, for most, really simple to go find those people. You know, for the most part, where they're hanging out, what conferences that they're a part of, what 
organizations, what, uh, you know, you just, it's just easier to like find and market your services when you get more specific. There was a, there was a person that, um, gosh, I met her probably four years ago and she'd been a graphic designer, a generic graphic designer, really good at what she does for a couple of years. And she was like, you know, she had left her job and she was paying the bills and she accidentally got connected with, uh, one of the local breweries here in Portland and she did a job for them and they were like blown away. She had fun. And so they introduced her to two other breweries and she did work for them. Uh, she did, she did, uh, like basically digital design work and branding work for, for these breweries. And then one of them invited her to one of the big conferences to where she was then introduced to a bunch of other craft breweries. And six months later, that was her clientele. She became in less than a year, almost by default, just because she wasn't resisting it. She became the designer for craft breweries. She raised her rates. I think it was like five X in that period of time. And then other people in somewhat related fields started to find her, uh, craft distilleries started reaching out. Wineries in Oregon and up in Washington started reaching out because it was like close enough to the industry, but she was now recognized as this specialist. Her work and her uh, like raw skills didn't change that much, but all of a sudden she became positioned at a much higher value because she was she was focused. She was specifically focused on an industry that, that, that valued her craft. And, and so they trusted her more. Yes, that's a great story, a great example, and just great advice. And I think there's some parallels there. And what I teach, too, with, with marketing and taking this holistic approach is really to focus on that transformation for the client. And I think when you can really lean into that, that helps bring a lot more clarity around how you communicate what you do and who it's for. And then it does because, again, simpler for yourself, but also simpler for the client. And just like this woman who was designing for breweries and and different uh, beverages, alcohol beverages, it just it makes it so much more clear on why she's the go-to expert. And so um, I love this conversation about just having this core offer and this clear niche because that's going to be ultimately kind of your marketing strategy and your communication strategy, because it's going to be very clear exactly what you can do and who it's for. Not the easiest thing to commit to, but <laughs> I think the, those that have gone there and done it by far like makes their business exponentially easier and more profitable. Yes, absolutely. And it's something I've <laughs> continually put myself through too and <laughs> have had to pare back on some of the things I offer. And it, and it's, it is, does feel terrifying when you're like disabling that web page on your, <laughs> on your website, <laughs> but it's also very freeing at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'd love to kind of talk about how kind of going back to this idea of the growth and being a little bit more intentional with how we grow our businesses. So if we have this one core offer and we know who we're offering that to. So how do we ultimately kind of design a business that is doing, you know, moving forward slowly, but it's also very intentional growth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that if you're a, you know, an entrepreneur, a business builder out there and you're listening to this, that it's important to understand that, that the sequencing of activities around the best use of your time and energy becomes really important because as entrepreneurs, like I said earlier, you've got to fight to live another day, another week, another month. And so you've got to have really, a really clear picture of where you're headed and you've got to have a pretty, um, I would say a tight action plan that's aligned with what you want to create. And this is honestly like without, you know, this being like any kind of a self-serving pitch, you, you probably are going to be money ahead by hiring someone who's been down the path where you want to go and they understand it deeply. And early in my, in my life, I, I was, I was going to Oregon State and I was in pre-veterinary medicine. 
Oh, no, I didn't know that. If you were a beaver, I would not have had you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I went to U of O, so I'm a duck. Okay. What a scholarship to OSU and not U of O. So maybe that makes makes our conversation easier. <laughs> I'll let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> and like to like keep the story fairly short, I... Um, I, I basically got a C in organic chemistry and like to get into vet school is hyper competitive at the time was more competitive than med school. And so I had the heart to heart chat with my advisor and he said, Hey, what about like you go and, and shadow a veterinarian to make sure that you're like really in this for the right reasons. <laughs> and so I said, that's a good idea. So I went and I went and hung out for three months with uh, a veterinarian. And on the first day he said, Michael, why do you want to be a veterinarian? I don't remember what I told him exactly, but he said, you know what? The best advice I can give you is if you commit to vet school and being becoming a veterinarian, specialize. He goes, you can be a generic veterinarian and see the cats and the dogs and the birds and the horses and the cows and all that, but people aren't going to um, respect your work as much, and it's just going to be harder than it needs to be. And this guy had a specialty on horses. And so all day, every day, we rode around, and it was like we, we would go work on people's horses. Um, and he was overbooked. He had more clients, more business than you could imagine. And I've always carried that lesson forward, like specialize, specialize, like how important it is to specialize, which kind of ties back to our last conversation about <laughs> choosing that niche and why would you do it? And I know it feels scary, but I got that, I got that like just kind of grilled into, into my psyche early in life. Um, and I've, I've tried to apply that and use that and bring it forward for the work that I do with my clients now and stress the importance of how that can make your life easier. Yeah, it's wonderful advice and opportunity to have that drilled in at such an early age because sometimes I think as entrepreneurs, we're almost building the plane as we're also flying it and figuring that out. So um, that's wonderful that you had that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so so get help. Like, don't be bashful about it. Like, you know, you go to college to learn how to do the thing. So if you're an entrepreneur and you need to know how to market your business in a in a super integrated and holistic way, like talk to Charlotte. <laughs> if you want to outsmart the hustle or you want to make 150K as a year as a coach, call Michael or someone else. That has always been, I've, ha I've had a coach since 2003, not 100% of the time, but most of the time. And my first coach was, uh, was paid for by my company. It was a sales coach. And we covered so much more than sales. We, were, we got into issues that were completely unrelated, but actually pretty related to sales. And since that time, I've hired relationship coaches, health coaches, business coaches, marketing coaches, uh, energy coaches, all kinds of coaches that have been able to see me and my business from a whole different perspective. And so I know I'm not getting really specific on answering, like, how do we design a business for slow and intentional growth? Um, but I think that's a big part of it. Because I know for coaches, for example, I've done the thing that I'm helping a lot of my clients do. And I know what the expectation should be. I know there's a lot of messaging out there around, you know, six figure this in three months or whatever. And, you know, it is what it is. But really having intentional business design as a coach requires some sequencing of things and some specific steps that if you don't know them, it's probably going to be harder and take you longer and cost you more. So I love to empower those people and shorten that timeline between what they want and where they are today. And so it's, you know, for me, this has always just been such an integral part of, of getting ahead. It's like the, it's, it's the best investment that I've ever made in my life, in my businesses, in um, understanding how money works, understanding how relationships work, understanding how health works. I go hire somebody who knows how to do that and who's been there and they've been in my shoes and they've walked that journey and they are able to, they have the ability, the, just the raw ability to help me do what I want to do 
in an easier and honestly, like more fun way. I'm not trying to figure it out myself. Right. Yes. I've also invested in coaches on and off throughout the time of having my business. And it's been so valuable, especially as like a a solopreneur, you're often in your own head a lot. And so to really go further faster, having that outside perspective of someone who has walked in your shoes or is ahead of you in the path is so profound and so powerful because that really a, you don't feel as alone or like you're doing, you're the only one in the world doing this. But then second, it does help you, like you said, put those sequence of action steps in place to get to where you want to go. And it's less of this kind of shiny object syndrome where you are looking <laughs> at what other people are doing or just adding more tactics and or looking at people that are, you know, I feel like Instagram's become a place everyone's like, oh, my six figure business or my 20K months. And then you're starting to feel this pressure that you should be doing that too. And it's maybe that's right for you. Maybe it's not. But I think, again, it's getting intentional about what it is you want and where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Really is. So speaking of being intentional, and I think this is something we've all kind of faced this year as our lives have kind of melded together and all under the roof of our homes. But I'm curious, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, but how do we really set boundaries around our business and prioritizing our life outside of work? And especially in, you know, again, under COVID where we're kind of all of our activities are happening at home. Yeah. 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 This is, wow. This is, this is a big, uh, this is a big one for people right now, I think, um, because a lot of people that aren't used to working at home or might not even have a space for it all of a sudden are working from home and the kids are at home too, because of schools and stuff. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, there's probably a lot of, um, there's probably a lot of really good solid advice on this that, um, honestly, like I may not be privy to because, um, I have a separate office space for my house that I can step into for coaching and podcasts and stuff. And I'm able to shut the door and walk away from that at the end of the day, which is really nice. I mean, you could do that with a room in the house too, I suppose, but still boundaries are hard for me, um, because, as a coach, part the coach part of me inherently wants to uh, have the calls last a little longer, uh, be of more service and value, put more into my offers versus keep them simple, um, over deliver. <laughs> and there isn't anything inherently wrong with that until all of a sudden, all of your energy is spent on what seems like trying to do a good thing, but actually it starts to create a subtle resistance to your work and your clients. And so for me, through coaching, I've had people help me structure for myself a business and a life that is pretty seamless. And so my work week is, I'm probably a little bit obsessive about it, but that's what I need to be to have it serve me. My Mondays are admin days. I rarely do anything related to client work on a Monday. And part of that's based on, hey, I used to have to go get an airplane and fly somewhere after a morning sales meeting on Mondays when I was in my old career. And I wanted Mondays to just be kind of like an easy flow into the week. So my Mondays are days when I work on projects. I I do creative work. um, I do admin work. I do my coaching work on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Those are my coaching days. And then on Fridays, I do fun things like this. I record podcasts either for myself or with others. I often have networking uh, conversations. Um, Friday's a bit of a free-for-all day for me. It's a fun day. It's a really fun day. And then most of my weekends, at least one of those weekend days, are what my wife and I kind of kiddingly call a contamination-free zone. No work can seep into, currently that day is Sunday. (laughs) And so I love to work. I love my work. And so that's actually hard for me. But I know that it's really important for the health and well-being of me as a human to keep that healthy boundary between my work stuff and my life stuff um, because they feed each other in really, really important ways. Yeah, I think that boundary setting is so important, especially with ourselves. I think we often think about boundary setting with clients or with different people in our lives, but ultimately we also have to set boundaries with ourselves. And I'm glad that you're able to kind of shut the door on your office and not try and peek in there on the weekend. <laughs> shut the door and lock it. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I also love how you talked about scheduling your week. I think it's it's great to be able to kind of chunk time out like that because it's very easy to get stuck in the multitasking or jumping from this task to something very different, which ultimately, you know, exhausts your own brain and attention span as you go. So mm, yeah, even some great advice in there. So before I ask my last question, I would love for you to tell everyone where they can connect with you further. All right. You can find me at my website, which is michaelnaus.com. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L. And then it's K-N-O-U-S-E.com. Uh, or you can send me an email directly at michael at michaelnaus.com. Um, if you're a coach that's fed up with struggling when it comes to clients and money, um, reach out. I'm happy to share how I overcame that. And if you're hustling too much in your biz and you want to chat it out with somebody and um, look at other possibilities, the best way to reach out is to send me an email directly and we'll have a conversation. I do anywhere from two to three of these types of calls every week. And it's just a part of my business. And I'm happy to do it. It's something that's free. Um, I guarantee it will make your brain hurt a little bit. <laughs> so if you're up for that and it feels resonant, I'd love to chat with you. Great. I'll put all of that in the show notes. And yes, those are sometimes the best conversations that are <laughs> pushing you to think about different possibilities and different routes. So that's yeah. wonderful. And so I know we touched on this a little bit, but I'd love for you to maybe expand on anything you hadn't earlier. But how does being intentional show up in your life or business? This is a this felt like a hard question for me. I don't know why. It felt like there was a lot on the line because I I, you know, having an intentional business is um I think it's so important for us creative self-directed entrepreneurs. And so I, you know, I've been sitting here thinking about this and I think that being intentional for me means consciously making bold decisions. And for example, I was working with my coach the other day and she asked me kind of why I was getting stuck around this issue that we'd been speaking about. And I told her the reason that I wasn't moving forward with you know, something I'd already said was pretty important was that I felt like it was going to, it just felt like it was going to be too much work, especially if it didn't work out. And so she reestablished that this was indeed important work for me. And she asked me to make a decision about it. And so I said something to the effect of, all right, uh, I'm deciding to move forward into this knowing that I am stepping into my service, knowing that this is going to be more aligned and a more fun and more profitable way of doing business. So I made a decision. I kind of gave myself permission to operate in this newer perspective or this newer way. And it might sound a little subtle, but making new decisions from my perspective is much more powerful than um, kind of just being at cause of the circumstances around me. Because I know I can't change most of those. Things are happening. COVID's happening. People are getting upset about politics. All that stuff's happening. Um, so what can, can I control? <laughs> I can be super intentional about the decisions I make in my business, in my life, um, in my relationships. And I can be more intentional about those. And that's empowering to me. So that's, that's kind of, uh, that was my... That was my thought around that question, which was hard for me. I had to really think about that. So I appreciate you asking it. Yes, that was a wonderful answer. And I, I think so much value in being able to take that time to make proactive decisions versus just reactionary ones. And especially when it comes to our businesses, it can be very easy to kind of just be like, let's try it. <laughs> let's see if it works. <laughs> how do you, yes, allow yourself to kind of take a deep breath and sit with you know, almost playing out the scenario. What is that scenario like? Does it feel right? Is it aligned with where I'm going? So I think that was really wonderful that you gave yourself that space and time and had that conversation with your coach too, to, to work through it versus just doing it and <laughs> seeing what happens, which I am totally guilty of. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. 
Yes. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was a lovely conversation and I appreciate your time. Yeah, Charlotte, this has been really great. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, please subscribe to be the first to know when a new episode is available. And if you really love this episode, please rate and review the podcast so that other conscious business leaders like yourself can join our community of listeners. If you'd like to connect with me further, you'll find me hanging out on Instagram at Charlotte Chipperfield. Come join me there or check out chipperfieldmedia.com for free resources, subscribe to my monthly newsletter, and learn more about the holistic marketing system. 